Warning, this podcast contains adult content, including frank descriptions of sex, and lots and lots of swear words. Enjoy. Hector stood and held out his hand to her and lifted her from the ground. Almost silently, they made their way into the house. Margaret turned a little ahead of him and knew he wouldn't come unless she asked him, but she didn't want to break the silence with the inadequate sounds of their voices. Not yet. She pulled him lightly down the hall to her own room, and he followed, his arms slack, letting himself be led, and in the doorway they kissed again, and with their foreheads pressed together, she unbuttoned his shirt, and he took his painted fingers, slick and manageable, laughed as he tried to undo her pants. Finally, unable to stand it anymore, he knelt before her and pulled her pants apart and down as she removed her top and bra. He pulled down her panties and looked at her sex with his hunger. She felt his breath there and leaned back and allowed him to take what he wanted. But to her surprise, he wrapped his arms around her instead and lifted her off the ground and carried her into the bathroom, where he put her in the shower and turned on the water. She wanted to laugh. The dull and uninteresting moments were unsexy things that happened in the middle of sex, having to wait for the, the water to heat up while he undressed and she stood there naked in the dark. When he flipped on the light switch, the harsh white light almost wanted to blink away from her, uh, and she wanted to hide in the dark, but he stood there before her, naked and leaning against the doorframe, a hand on himself, looking at her, and breathing like a beast preparing for a run. I want to watch you, he said in a husky voice. Oh, hey, Claire. Oh, Neil. That was fun. I mean, it was fun, and it was full of mistakes. <laughs> it was yeah, like, whatever. I was like, oh, that's not the right word. That's not the right word. <laughs> well, before we before we do a bit of editing, we need to do the podcast. <gasps> the podcast? Yes, the podcast. Well, all right, then. All right. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Claire. And this is FMK Lit. Where we read two romance novels. A straight one and a queer one. And then we play fuck, marry, kill with the characters, usually. Normally. Normally. But November is NaNoWriMo. So everybody's writing a novel this month. Everybody. Everybody, everybody, everybody. Everybody. And if you're not, you are going to get arrested. Yeah. Yeah, it's now the law. Now the law. <laughs> or it's not, and you can just go to NaNoWriMo, and you can see who is participating. You can donate a little to help those those people out who are spending their, their time indoors trying to knock out their novel this month. <laughs> it's very fun. You can still participate. I mean, there's only a couple days left in the month, so you must be an amazing writer if you're able to get out 50K between now and the 30th. But fuck it. Do it. Just do it. Why not? Um... So yeah, this month we are checking in because Claire and I are both attempting to write romance novels. So we're just having these little check-in episodes to see how everything is going. But before we do that, Claire. Mm -hmm. Yes? What's got you all hot and bothered? Oh my god. Uh, Yesterday I saw a tweet that went out from a woman 
who I don't know, so I won't name her. But um, her tweet is, seeing a guy for four months, found out tonight he has a girlfriend of 10 years and a seven-years-old kid that I didn't know about. Bearing in mind, he's taken me to meet his mom three times, and she knew and lied to me, too. You can't fucking write my life. And I'm like, yeah, that's incredible. But bitch, it's a pandemic. Why the fuck are you gonna go see someone's someone's like mom four <laughs> times? Like, I'm sorry, you saw her three times in the last four months, and you just met this douchebag. And I haven't seen my mom for a fucking year. Nah, I don't give a shit. You were the one who decided you're like, oh, four months, meet his mom in. What decade are you living in? This is not like those times. This is what. what the hell? I mean, look. This is uh, yeah. cell phone times, goddammit. Look, he totes lied to you, and that totally sucks, and I'm very sorry about it, but also, sorry, you're only four months in. Like, it's, like, come on. And, and like, at what month was he like, you know what, you should come meet my mom? And you were like, yeah, I should do that. During a pandemic, during the weirdest year ever, I'm totally going to make that happen. No. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. And so, like, nope. I felt bad no for having situation made a good idea. Nobody. Or, I felt bad sorry, for made a good choice. Yeah. I felt bad for having no sympathy for her for a second. And then I was like, nah, you're fine. You'll bounce back. You figured this out. It's okay. You can move on with your life. It's only been four months. <sighs> okay. That's fair. Anyway, I was just like, <laughs> I, I was, like this guy's awful. But, like, there's probably other red flags on the way to awful. And I don't know what his mom has going on or what she's thinking. Maybe she loves her son. Maybe she thinks he's in an open relationship and he and knows the rules. Don't talk about one girlfriend and the other. Maybe she thinks that. I don't know. I'm not blaming the mom here. Most likely she hates the girlfriend. Oh, yeah. That's also possible. And she wants him to date other people to leave her. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't even have, like... Grandkid. But she doesn't even have pictures around the house of a grandkid. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And wait, his he's he and his girlfriend have been together for ten years, and the kid is seven. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna say okay. Um, it's quite possible that there's falsehoods in this tweet, even, and it's one of those tweets for attention. But also, don't care. Angry about it if it did happen, because. Again, I haven't seen my mom for a year, so screw you up. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Fair. Coming in hot. Claire Rice. <laughs> Great. So, yeah. Bothered. Very bothered. <laughs> Great. Great. <laughs> um, uh, but, Neil, what has yeah. got you hot and bothered? <laughs> so, I have another story from the apps. <gasps> um, mm-hmm. So this guy messaged me and was like, hey, I'm looking to be somebody's sugar daddy. Oh, hey. I've gotten those messages a few times. And to the not, it starts with, I'm looking to be, like, the guy is, and this is, you know, in the before times as well, the guy's like two states away. And he's like, I'm looking to be somebody's sugar daddy, blah, 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 blah. And in my mind, I'm like, well, you don't even want sex. We're two states away. And then, and then, like, the que- in the first message, the question comes up, like, 
so do you have any debt? Because I need to know. And I'm like, oh, no, that's a scam. That's obviously a scam. Yeah. Okay. But this guy seemed legit because he was like, hey, so I'm looking to be somebody's sugar daddy. And basically it was like, um, I'll pay your bills and this weekly allowance. And like, we would just sort of like do stuff online. And I think it was like just the idea of like, oh, being available to like, I don't know, send me dirty pictures, maybe like sext. I don't know if people still say sext, maybe do like cam stuff. I don't know. And I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. That's fine. But but he's like, yeah, I'll pay your bills and $500 a week. And I wanted to be like, bitch, you know how much rent is around here? (laughs) Like, let's call it what it is. You would like me to be an off-the-books independent contract sex worker to be available for you for me as a side hustle. You're not my sugar daddy if you're not paying my rent, honey. (laughs) So I'm not upset that he's looking to, like, have someone available to him and that he will pay them for their time. I'm upset at the unrealistic expectations that he has set around the word sugar daddy. (laughs) That's not enough sugar daddy. (laughs) Okay, I'll call you a Splenda daddy. (laughs) I got a Splenda daddy. I got a Splenda daddy. And hey, don't get me wrong. I'd love it if somebody paid my bills and I got an extra extra $500 a week on top of what I'm making. But then it's like, oh, sorry, I can't. I'm trying to write a novel this month. <laughs> or like, oh, I can't. I'm actually at work right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If he's like, oh my god, come, come, you know, like be on cam with me at two tomorrow. I'll be like, I'm working. I have a job because you're not paying my rent, Splendid Daddy. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then funny enough, someone else that I have been sort of like t- chatting to casually. Um, was like, oh yeah, some guy just offered to be my sugar daddy for to pay my bills in four hundred a week, and his response was, "What do you do?" I was <laughs> like, yeah, at that point, that's when you start asking for W twos. Yes, one hundred percent. Anyway, so that's me. You can't write my life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, you could also like, uh, if that worked out, then maybe just like start it for fans. <laughs> And, and like, only fans, yeah. And only fans. I have four and fans, only fans. I appreciate it too. It, he said, like, literally, he was like, just to be like, everything would would occur digitally. So it's like, oh, he's being conscientious around the pandemic. He's like keeping, he's social distancing his his sex, and that's really great of him. I really appreciate that. Um, but yeah, if you're not paying my whole rent, then mm-mm-mm. no. Mm-mm. <sighs> interesting times interesting yeah. times <laughs> well holly go lightly let's see should we <laughs> <laughs> my office is right next to tiffany's <gasps> i can stand out there in last night's dress eating a croissant and some cheap coffee and just like live out my my fantasy indeed great great Okay. Let's talk about books, please. Let's talk about books. Neil. Yes. How did your writing go this week? Um, not bad. Um, <laughs> I wasn't quite sure where we were going. It was like, well, not. Um, 
<laughs> my hands fell off. Ah! So, no. Um, it's been, I, I've sort of gotten into a groove of carving aside time, and I find that I usually need like about an hour and a half a day to like get my words in. I've been going above the daily count for a while, so I'm I'm actually like ahead of the curve at the moment, which was great because yesterday, nope, Friday, uh, so two days ago, I was only able to get in um, like 800 or so words just because like I worked and then I had um, a D&D game almost immediately after, so I had like a little bit of time to like get some stuff ready. Um, and so what I've, uh, the, the, the biggest challenge for me uh, is that I mentioned last time that um, my outline wasn't the best, or like I'm realizing that a lot of stuff that I've done so far it, it was superfluous. And then some of my outline is was built on top of that, so I feel, and I don't know if this is actually true, but I like, I, I think I'm just like hitting the big red button and then all of a sudden I'm like, the outline is useless to me. Mm. And normally I take time to like sit down and sort of work it out again and be like, okay, now I know what I need to plan better to finish. But then on the other hand, I'm just like, no, I need to like just keep writing so that I get my, my word count in and like, Yes, sitting down and outlining is important, and like I, yes, you want to hit your words, but more importantly, for me, like it's more important that I come out of this with like something that I'm proud of having written. And so, like taking a day or two and getting under the word count to do the outline is not something to necessarily avoid or be ashamed of, but I also don't want to like break the momentum that I have. Right. So I think I'm just going to like keep plowing through every day. And so despite all my best efforts, once again, I'm a pantser. (laughs) (laughs) And you're so angry about it. (laughs) I tried. I tried. And it just, uh, so that's, it's it's like on the one hand it's like no it's good that i'm being critical of and realizing that like what i had isn't quite working and it needs fixing and like that's really good and i like to think that that's a step ahead of some of the published writers that we've read um but it's still so frustrating to be like Yes, I could have planned better, but, like, I did a complete outline before I even started writing, and that's what planners do, right? And then it's it's all gone out the window. <laughs> You're so angry about this, but I, I feel like... I feel like it's mostly because there's this time crunch thing and mm-hmm. and like under normal circumstances like you wouldn't be this angry at yourself about it. <laughs> no, under yeah, under normal circumstances it'd be like, okay, now I can like take the time to do the outlining and that is um good in a way because it takes away the need to like set aside that time every night to like pound out the the word count so it's like oh i can like take a little bit of a breath and sort of live in what i have and sort of like you know finesse that a bit and see where things go do some exploration let the characters speak to me and all that bullshit um but yeah it's the time crunch and wanting to actually hit because i i think i had like twenty five thousand words by the end of the month the last time we did this 
and I'm ahead of that. And I think I'm still ahead of, if I do my words today, I'll be ahead of where we are meant to be. So I plan on hitting 50,000 words and I want to do that. I guess, you know, 25,000 of it is just going to be stuff that I just like make up in the next few days. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. I think um, for me, um, so I'm working on my iPad uh, when I'm doing these writing sessions and um, I don't, I can't see the page numbers. It's just like a big long list of words. It almost feels like, Um, and it's (laughs) It's not a story. It's a list of words. Practically. And it's, it's, It's difficult to, it's really difficult on the iPad to actually go in and like do precise editing um, mm-hmm. because it's such, it's, it's, it's much smaller frame and it's like difficult to maneuver the mouse and like it doesn't always understand what I mean when I'm tapping on the word because it's like, oh, did you want to correct the word or do you want to cut and paste the word? I'm not quite sure what you mean here. And I'm like, did you want to look up the word? Do you what, you know, what is happening here? And I'm like, oh, I know there's an easier way to do this. I just haven't worked with this machine long enough and oh, I just rather do this on the PC. So, um, but that's helped in a lot of ways so that I'm not stuck in like just editing something I just wrote or like going back and looking at it and especially so yeah I'll get to I'll get to how my writing went later we'll keep talking about yours I've been really good about that um this time around too because normally when I write I'll go through and read and because I usually write plays so read like the scene before to sort of like quote back into the quote, get back into the flow of it. But I think it's just procrastinating. Um, so I've been I've been really good. There are a couple times where, um, oh, it was, so that night that I only did like 800 words, it was the first chunk of a scene and I had the rest of, a scene in, in, of the scene in my brain. So I like left that little bit of text so they could go back the next day and just read that and just like continue the scene from there. But other than that, I haven't really gone back and read anything other than what we've done for for my sharing for this mm-hmm. and I'm proud of myself because because like for that could be a whole day for me just like oh I'll just read this one scene oh wait let me pick this change that and move that around oh do I want to say this oh what about this idea oh but then I'd have to add it here and here and then I spend the whole day editing when really my intention was writing so I've been I've been good about that this year and I'm very proud of myself for that yay good job yeah. so um, well, but is there something like, so it sounds like it was, it was stressful. It didn't go, it's not going the way you wanted it to in some ways because you wanted to be a little bit further along, but, um, but you also wanted to have the plan, but it, was there something you wrote this week that you are really proud of that you really did like? Um, yes, I think it's from this week. I've, I've not been keeping track of. Um, that as well as I should have, but I do have something that I want to share. And I do want to point out too, that it's not, it hasn't been so much stressful as it has been frustrating Mm. this year. Most of the time it hasn't been stressful for me, which is good because if it's not like, if it's not fun, because I like NaNoWriMo is my splendid daddy. It's not paying my bills. So if it's not fun, then why do it kind of thing? I almost feel um, like our, the NaNoWriMo for both you and me, actually, we're the Splenda Daddies for the NaNoWriMo. Like, it's, yeah, <laughs> like I, I we're demanding them, it give us pleasure when we pay. I some money, so yeah. <laughs> um, 
also but catch us up on where the characters are i think last time because what we talked about was um our your main character was having a lovely time with <laughs> with the bookstore guy <laughs> but who's not the main love interest he's not the main love interest so in sort of like spending a bit of time in town and especially away from his life he's starting to realize um just like how burnt out and unhappy he was and he'd just been in it and been at it for so long that he didn't really realize it so he decides that he's going to um take a month off of work and be the new chef or the new cook at this bed and breakfast because he's not a professional chef but he um he likes cooking and he got into it when he was relatively young. So he's like a pretty decent chef. Like he knows his way around a recipe. Whereas Carrie, the owner, is just like barely squeaking by because he's he's overworked and he, because he never like learned to cook. So he's just sort of like fumbling around. And there's a point where he's like, yeah, because of like the turnover of guests, he's like, I have like three recipes and I just use them over and over and over again. And none of them are complicated or especially great. Like, it's fine. <laughs> like, it's serviceable. So, um, Patrick, our main guy, is like, yeah, I'm going to stay for a month. And I'm just going to be your cook. And Carrie's like, I can't pay you. And Patrick's like, I don't care. I'm not doing this for money. Like, I have money saved up. You just give me a place to stay and I'll just do it. And Carrie's like, uh... And of course, one of Carrie's things is it's really hard for him to let go of stuff. And he's like, this bed and breakfast is very precious to him. And he feels like it's, you know, it's his baby, it's his project. It's also not his livelihood. And because of who he is, it's really hard for him to, A, realize that he needs help, B, actually ask for help, and then C, trust that person to actually help. So when Patrick's like, I'm going to do this, Carrie's like, uh make me a dinner as a sort of like audition because he's like in in the moment he's like i know if i say no this guy's just gonna keep arguing with me so if i have him like cook the dinner i'll just like eat dinner and say you know what i don't think it'll work out so the scene that i'm sharing is at the tail end of that dinner so patrick has um gone into town and he's picked up some stuff to like sort of zhuzh up the little um, dining area. So the the bed and breakfast has a wraparound porch, which is called the veranda. And the veranda's sort of like sectioned out. And one section of it is where meals are served when people um, sit outside. And there's a little nook set aside that they call the lover's nook. And so it's part of like the romantic weekend package that you have dinner there or other guests can like reserve the nook. And it's like you know, the paint's chipping, the there's some balustrades missing from the from the, the railing, and it's like separated by this trellis covered with fake ivy, and it's like it's not great. So Patrick sort of zhuzhes it up, he puts in some fairy lights and he gets he goes to one of the antique places and gets a, a, a tablecloth and some new china that's in better shape. And then he like makes his dinner <laughs> Carrie's like, okay, and then Patrick comes out and puts down two plates. And Carrie's like, who's at Patrick's like, yeah, I'm I'm having dinner with you. Because he knows that like 
it'll it'll make him uncomfortable just to be like, yeah, I'm here, I'm watching you eat. You can't bullshit your reactions. Anyway, so this is the tail end of that. They're finishing up with dessert. They've had a bottle of wine. They're both a little tipsy, especially Carrie, who's a lightweight these days because he almost never drinks anymore because he doesn't have the time. They went back to finishing the last of their wine and dessert. Carrie was tempted to fish out another bottle of wine, but thought better of it, especially after another question he'd been dying to ask slipped past his lips without his meaning it to. So what led to the breakup? Patrick looked back at him, and he felt like an ass. Sorry, that was inappropriate of me. Forget I asked. You know, I've been thinking about it a lot lately, obviously, trying to put it into words, Patrick said, as if Carrie hadn't tried to take it back. What I think it was is that at some point it felt like I was doing all the work for both of us. When we first started seeing each other, it was great. Wonderful dates, amazing conversation, fantastic sex. We loved each other's friends. We wanted the same things in life and in a relationship. But after a while, it just fell apart so slowly and in such small ways that neither of us really noticed. It seemed like he kind of stagnated. Maybe that's unfair of me. It seemed he was happy where he was, just sort of feeling his way through things. But I wasn't, and I was ready to drag him kicking and screaming into the sort of life that I wanted for us. For myself. It felt like if I didn't make the effort, we never would have seen each other. I was always making plans, keeping track of when we were going out with friends. That doesn't feel great, realizing that your boyfriend wasn't making much of an effort to see you. Patrick gave a sigh and looked out over the lawn. I'm starting to realize that it was entirely likely, probable even, that he learned to just wait around for me to be free. I hated that he didn't seem to prioritize our relationship, but I was just as bad all along. He always came second or third to other things I had going on. After our first date, I wasn't free again for a second date until the next month. I'm surprised we lasted as long as we did. That's rough, Carrie agreed quietly. I was the same in more than one of my relationships. Color me surprised, Patrick said dryly. But the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, was that he stood me up on my birthday when we had reservations at this impossible-to-get-into restaurant. It was the first time we were going out, just the two of us, in at least five months. And it was really important to me that we had that night together. That's when I realized that we just weren't important enough to each other anymore. When was this? Thursday. Oh, shit, Carrie said before he could stop himself. I'm sorry, I'd, I'd, wish you, I'd wish you a happy birthday, but I don't see how that could possibly be true. It's gotten a lot better since, Patrick assured him. I have to ask, what was he doing when he stood you up? Tab. Carrie looked at him a moment. What? This is the kicker, Patrick said. He then held up his finger while he emptied his glass in one gulp. So I'm sitting at the restaurant for nearly an hour and he doesn't show up. I text, I call, nothing. I'm starting to think he might be dead. So I rush over to his apartment and find him there with Tab, some hung twink he'd met on one of the apps. Patrick said with a dismissive wave of the hand. He cheated on you? Carrie bellowed. He caught himself and waited a moment to listen for any sounds of his having disturbed any guests. He cheated on you? He repeated in a whisper. Oh, no, we were open. Ah, Carrie said darkly painful memories doing their best to bubble up in his mind. What does that mean? Patrick asked. Well, they don't work. What? Open relationships? Yeah, they never work. I think they can, Patrick said, looking at Carrie strangely. I mean, there's more work involved, but I think it's worth the effort. It's like trying to have your cake and eat it, too. (sighs) Nothing wrong with more cake. 
I just don't think they can work, Carrie said resolutely. And I think they can, Patrick said with a shrug. Really? Carrie asked. You really think that when you just dumped a guy for fucking someone else? Patrick's eyebrow arched and his lips pursed slightly. Do you want to try that again? I'm just saying, Carrie started, knowing that he was just digging himself deeper but not being able to stop himself, that I think it's a little funny that you were saying an open relationship could work when you just got out of one a few days ago. The problem with our relationship was that we weren't right for each other anymore, not that we were hooking up with other people, Patrick said shortly, his brows furrowing. It just sounds to me like you don't want to admit that he cheated on you, Carrie said. You said yourself that you weren't making enough time for him, so I don't see how it's all that surprising. In an instant, Patrick's face became a wall of ice. He calmly stood and started cleaning the plates, despite Carrie still having a couple bites left. Dinner service is over, he said. His voice felt like a blade of ice slipping under Carrie's skin. I'll clean up. Maybe you should have a glass of water and go to bed. The way he said it, it definitely didn't feel like a suggestion. Patrick, I... Carrie started. But Patrick had already turned away and was walking back into the kitchen. Carrie suddenly deflated and put his face in his hands. He didn't regret what he'd said, but definitely how he'd said it. He wanted to spare Patrick some of the heartache that he'd been through himself, but obviously he could have been a lot kinder about it. He couldn't even explain to himself why he'd been so cruel. He downed his glass of wine for good measure and decided to leave before Patrick came back. Up in his room, he got into bed and cringed when he saw the time and realized how little sleep he'd be getting. But sleep wouldn't come. Patrick's story was painfully familiar. His brain turned, being the dick that it was, deciding to play over and over again the time he'd unwittingly come home to find Travis in bed with someone he'd eventually leave Carrie for. And Mike. And David. Thinking that giving your partner the okay to sleep with other people and that he'd still stay with you was just foolish, and Carrie wanted Patrick to see that before he had to go through another Wes. And that's my passage. Nice! Oh, well done, well done. Thank you. Um, I very much liked it. I like how we as the reader already know that, um, that our character, that he doesn't feel cheated on. Uh, he does, but only in the sense that this was what they, like, he feels like he was ignored. That this wasn't, he would have felt maybe kind of the same if his boyfriend had come in from a night of just hanging out at the gym and doing push-ups. <laughs> like, like, no, we had this special night for each other. Like, oh, really? You should have reminded me. Like, no, dick. <laughs> Yeah, so no, I like that. I like that a lot. But I also Thanks. like how it starts out so nice and it's so pleasant and they're having a good time and how quickly it turns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, leading up to this, Patrick's done a whole, like he's put on this persona, this like maitre d' persona. He's like, for our first dish, we have this and this and this. <laughs> so they're just like sitting there and like Carrie's realizing that this is the first time that he's like sat down to have an actual meal in a very long time and like the veranda looks so pretty he barely even recognizes it and he thinks about like how great it'll be for people to like sit out here and enjoy their dinner and then the 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 one trauma comes up and here we are yeah but i also like that we may carry a slight you may carry a slightly unreliable self-narrator in that he's like i just want to spare patrick like, well, that's of course not. Like, of course, it's his own feelings, and he's he's wrapped up in himself. Like, he didn't even bother to ask. Like, oh, I'm sorry, did you feel cheated on? Or like, 
any of that. Like, didn't even, like, as soon as that came up, didn't delve any further into Patrick's feelings and was done with Patrick's feelings. And then, uh, and then told himself it was because he wants to save Patrick. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's very cool. I think very depth. depth. Yeah, and we're going to find out that it's a pattern that every time Carrie dates someone younger, like around Patrick's age or younger, that it starts out monogamous and then the boyfriend wants to open the relationship and uses that as the way to meet someone to leave Carrie for. Mm. And then when they talk about it, Patrick's like, no, those guys were dicks. That's not (laughs) how it should be. That's not how it should be. I'm really sorry you went through that. That's not how it should be. So... Yeah, that sounds, that's what I got. Yay! Well, that sounds like it was really productive and, and very good. I like Thank that. Thank you. I also have a scene with a sassy old lady, and I'm, I, I wrote this. I'm so excited. So, of course, Patrick it gets, I don't want to say hired on, but Carrie agrees to have Patrick stay and cook for him. And then Patrick's like, okay, well, I have to, like, go in and out of town to get groceries all the time. How am I going to get this? He buys a Vespa. <laughs> And it makes him feel so gay, and he loves it. <laughs> cute. Cute, yeah. cute. So that's that. And then what happens after that, I don't know, because my outline is useless. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure I just need to look it over again and see what I can work on that I know is still still good and could survive the reworking. But yep. I just like being dramatic about it. Uh, evidently, I evidently. I don't know if you know this about me. Sometimes I like to be dramatic. I've never seen evidence of that. <laughs> but of course you know i'm never dramatic i am always Ever. level-headed <laughs> yes yes we're both so grounded and level-headed Ugh, that's why we us. do this podcast facts all facts <laughs> so claire how has your week of writing been um it was okay i think um I, I I'm I'm I actually I got a lot of words in. I feel really mm-hmm. good. I'm only five thousand away from fifty K. And <gasps> I think I actually will probably hit it tonight. Um Yay. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Can we talk about your sex scene that you read really fast? Yeah. I really liked it. Oh, that is fa- like it goes so it it went on. I'm I'm not as like um I'm not, like, after reading it before we joined up today, um, there was a lot more, like, uh, editory that needed to be done to it. And then it was, it really wasn't, like, fit to be read out loud, but in my head. So, so, (laughs) let me tell you what happened and what was happening around that particular scene. So, um... Uh, last week, I'd written up to and written into this scene where the two of them are having a confrontation. Um, over the, over time, Margaret has come to sus- like come back to be being suspicious about Hector, and so like after accepting him into her life and after they've had some good times together, is now like to notice things about Hector that are similar to her husband. And little lies and little inconsistencies and little things that don't match up. And she sort of promises herself it's never going to happen again. She's never going to let herself be conned like that again. So she's kind of... And so, like, as they're having a conversation over a nice dinner, more things come up. And she's realizing, like, oh, this guy's lying to me. This guy's lying to me. 
and I can either choose to believe the lie to make my life easier, or I can stop this and I can try to clarify and see what's going on and have a confrontation. And either, like, it's a choice. And, like, if I choose one of them, it's just like with Mitchell, like, it's like I, like, she finally comes to the realization she didn't make that choice with Mitchell. Like, he didn't just, like, bowl her over entirely. Like, at one point, she made the choice to just believe the things he was saying. And she's she knows she's at that crossroads now, and she decides to take the other road, where she's going to confront Hector. Um, and when I was writing that scene, I was like, this is great. Um, it's also coming too early. <laughs> like, I've, I've, this is... This is wrong. <laughs> um, so I did that thing when we were talking about where uh, Christine had asked, like, how do you save your bits? And I just, like, pressed enter a whole bunch. <laughs> so it was, like, five or six pages down, but you know, empty pages. And I just went back up to the top of where that scene started, deleted the last line. So now it's like, now they're just sitting down to dinner. Okay. It's a nice dinner now. Nice things happen. <laughs> Well, how do we get there? And th- and so then um, they have like a really kind of romantic time. She's made dinner. He he's like, why are we having it inside of the table? Fuck this. Let's go have let's go have this in the yard. And the yard has like grass like up to their hips. So when they sit down, it's like it hides them in the grass. And it's, it's kind of dumb, but it's also a little romantic, and they both find it silly. But they enjoy the dinner, and they get to talking, and they have, like, a little bit of an honest conversation. And, um, and he asks her, and then I'll read a little bit about what happens um, here. Blah, 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 blah. I'm going to tell you later. But then it ends up, <laughs> she gets him to buy paint for the house. And so he runs and gets it right away because he wants to impress her. And he comes back with paint. And he's like, see, the yellow paint, it works. It's going to look really great on the house. And she's like, oh, I know. I just made you buy paint for me. You get that, right? Like, (laughs) I made you do that. He's like, oh, and he kind of freaks out. He throws it at her. And then they have a little bit of a paint fight. And then that leads, yes, and that leads to them, like, being cutesy and being a little dumb with each other. And that's why, so at the beginning of that sex scene, they're both covered in paint and dirt. And so when they take the shower together, they are really cleaning each other in addition to, like, sexy stuff. And then he takes her into the bedroom and he lays her down on the bed. And then, um, and then it's just cunnilingus for half a page. (laughs) Do you, do you think that's enough? Um, no, which is why great. they'll probably do it in another scene as well. But <laughs> great, 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 great. But I teased it for like a whole like five pages. So like, <laughs> um, and then they have sex and it's it's very good um, and, and delightful. And then afterwards, like she's kind of caught in her head. She's like, what do I do here? I don't know if I want to sleep in the same bed. Like, I kind of just want to go to sleep. <laughs> but he also... Same lives here but i don't know if i actually feel comfortable cuddling like are we cuddlers and she isn't she just doesn't know because like her last relationship was with this other guy and so she's just like i don't know what to do and when and he comes out of the bathroom after removing the condom and cleaning up and he looks at her he's like do you want to go get ice cream and she's like oh yes thank god (laughs) (laughs) don't have to think about this right now they go and have the guy who (laughs) who goes down on me and then buys me ice cream. Oof. 
Yeah, I know, right? And um, <laughs> perfect. It's the dream. So they go out and have ice cream, um, and that's when they have kind of a they they start having a nice time, and then it kind of becomes a rougher conversation, mm-hmm. um, and then that leads to much better into sort of why she would start to feel really um, like worried about him and not like mm-hmm. him as much anymore and start to like kind of spiral out a little bit. So, so yeah, so that was a, so, and I still haven't gotten to that scene <laughs> that I've pushed all the way down. There's still five blank pages before that scene comes up. And I've still in my mind, like the, 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 uh, the long outline that's, that gets longer inside of my head. Like I can see the scenes that have to happen to get there. And it's so mm. far down the list. <laughs> Good. So, um, a couple things that I really enjoyed about it. One was when you brought up like, oh, the, the you know, like the time it takes to take your clothes off when it's not like to get to the sex anymore and how that's sort of an encumbrance and like waiting for the shower to heat up and like all those little things that aren't sexy, but just sort of like in the context of the scene, it kind of was sexy. Like it, it helped with the whole mood. Um, and then not knowing that they were both covered in paint when you read the scene and it talked about how he had paint on his hands it's like oh he just did some of his you know like hobby painting and so it's like oh the showers for both of them but then it's kind of this twist that he like sort of like leads her into the shower and then just like stands back and is like i have at it and it's just like that's that's arousing for him i was like ooh, ooh, twist ooh, twist. twist twist yeah i think i really wanted two things to happen with the scene like one it wanted it to really feel like the first time two people have sex Mm -hmm. which even when they're both good at it it doesn't always like work Mm -hmm. (laughs) so and i kind of with that knowledge like i wanted like hector to know that that was possible as they were starting to have sex so to draw it out and to like let the in-between parts be sexy and let the teasing happen and sort of allow for time to happen and being comfortable and and also that like and also to openly explain each other's needs and constant consent like like looking at each other in the eye like is this what is this okay like i've gone down on my knees before you in the bed your legs are spread before me and like but not saying it but looking in the eyes like okay you kind of get what's happening here right (laughs) and the other person going "Mm -hmm, this is yes looking in the eyes i've accepted and acknowledged if i had neon arrows i'd use them (laughs) Yes, flags like those ones at the airport. The like. semaphore, yeah, just like, or the cone, yeah, yeah, the cones that um, air traffic controllers have. Yeah. So like, um, and then like before they, you know, before he goes on to the the next part, like, and, and she's like, "Oh, do you want?" And he's like, "Not tonight." So like, it's like a wish list for later. Like, more mm-hmm. will happen at some future point. But that he also he does want to have sex tonight, and he's like may I? And she's like, fuck yes. And, and, and the line that I particularly like is like her instinct was to say, please. But she realized right then she never wanted to beg Hector, Hector for anything. Mm. So she just says, yes. Great. I would have like, it always feels so good when, um, you're sort of hooking up with someone new and you kind of like 
skip over something or like decide not to do something and then you're like oh did you want to and they'll be like no next time and you know that they mean it it's like ah yes yeah yeah like so good also for my own edification is hect i picture hector pretty hairy is that the case yeah yeah he's a little yeah he's fuzzier um he's also like um uh, like he's not particularly tall like he's he's mm-hmm. about her height so he's not a really tall guy and he's fit but he's not gym fit he's just mm-hmm. like normal guy i probably i have like i have two 10 pound weights i carry around with me wherever i go and like you know when i move places and in the morning <laughs> when i'm going shopping blah, blah, blah. at the dmv you know like one of those guys who's just like oh i've woken up i'm gonna do a stretch do like a couple of sit-ups and great now i'm going on with my day you know like like great. just like not fucking freaking out about it um mm-hmm. And doesn't eat particularly well, but also doesn't eat a lot. Like, because he doesn't give a shit about food. So, like, uh, he's one of those. never work between us. No, I know. But he, like, it's important because Hector doesn't, Hector likes food. And he likes it when it tastes good. And he enjoys having good food. But it also, he doesn't, like, his revolve his life around it. And he doesn't enjoy cooking. So it's never been a big factor in his decisions. Mm-hmm. And... Um, for Margaret, uh, that was something that was honest between her and Mitchell. Like Mitchell was a very good cook and he loved cooking. And it was one way where she really felt like, um, like that was something that was just true. Like later looking back at the relationship, like was the things like about his parents or his old jobs or what he was currently doing. Was any of that true? No. But the fact that he could cook for her and enjoyed it and then she loved it was a true thing. And it's something she genuinely misses as well that she can look back on with honesty. And that's and it makes going forward hard. And it also makes like some moments with Hector hard because that was something that was such a big part of that relationship that meant love. And Hector doesn't have that. And it's something that like makes it harder to move forward in that relationship. But also later when I get to that part, something that Hector shows her you like that you can live without, or you can start gaining yourself. If that's something you miss, I I don't come with that. And you would have to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have another passage to share with us today? I do. And in fact, it's some of that scene uh, where they're in the lawn. Oh, there's Um, a blanket down, right? Uh, there's a blanket down. He set up a lot of nice things. So Very they're in cute. like a little bubble of grass. Yes. Oh. In the blink of an eye, they were out in the yard on a little throw blanket from Hector's room. The grass was almost above their heads, and it felt delightfully private. Music spilled out from the house, and it was calm and peaceful. So, how is work going? Hector speared a potato and popped it into his mouth and made a little face that said it was good, and quickly speared three more. Good. It's pretty mind-numbing. I don't really do anything. It's a little frustrating sometimes because all of their systems are so antiquated. The ditto machine sits in the corner with a dust cover on, as if at any second we'll be using it. You know what you need. A fixer. Hector smirked and cocked his head uh, at Margaret and she rolled her eyes. Uh, If I had used my actual resume, I'd be running that office. In fact, they couldn't afford me. But no, it's okay. 
I'll be grateful. Margaret didn't feel grateful, and she didn't sound it. You know, for someone who used to be able to walk in and get, uh, you know, for someone who was able to just walk in and get a job, Hector started. She says, oh, you read my mind. I was just berating myself for not being grateful enough. Actually, weirdly, I feel like I conned my way in. When I was sitting there, I thought, what would Mitchell do? And I just did what he would. How do you know what he would do? Did he give you con artist lessons? Well, I mean, that's not what they felt like at the time. He was just telling me about his own work. He used to say, uh, he used it to, when he worked in venture capital. I mean, that's what he said. And, and how he'd suss people out when he was speaking, he was speaking to and use that to get what he wanted from them. And looking back, I realized, <sighs> Margaret tried not to feel stupid, but she couldn't help it. All the truths were there if she just wanted them. Do me, Hector said, putting down his plate. <laughs> what do you mean, do you? Margaret laughed, letting the innuendo hang in the air. Suss me out. The way he would. Hector turns his body so he's facing her. <sighs> I don't want anything from you. Margaret was about to get annoyed with this game. It wasn't pleasant to think she accidentally conned people when she just thought she was doing was just being confident. Sure you do. Everybody wants something. Come on, show me. Hector looked giddy. Well, first of all, I can't. Because you want me to prove that I can't do it, so you'll be looking extra hard. In her mind, she could hear Mitchell. All people want is attention and affection, and, it, uh, and to be told that they are correct. They love pro proving people wrong. The first thing you do is give them an opportunity. Make them curious by telling them they are too smart for whatever you have. Come on, you have to give yourself some credit. You said you thought you conned your way into a job. Obviously you think you can do it. Hector probed her. Uh, uh, Hector prodded her to keep her going in a slightly pandering way that all men had when they thought they were being you were being hard on yourself and they wanted to teach you a lesson in confidence. Men love giving women the gift of confidence. All right. Margaret then turned her full attention on Hector. I think you. I think that first he said, start by assessing the person and sort of Sherlock Holmes what you assume about them. And what do you Sherlock Holmes about me? Hector asked with daring eyes. If Margaret was being honest, this was the first moment she really, really thought about Hector this way. With a calm mind and without the barriers of fear or lust or panic or sadness. So. Oh. So what starts there is like um, sort of like on three levels, like one, she's having a conversation with Hector about how to con someone, quote unquote, and she's conning him, quote unquote. And then in the back of her mind, she hears Mitchell walking her through the con and okay. like how to get people on your side and how to do the ask. And she's remembering and talking to Hector about how she used that in her fundraising job. <laughs> Like, she fundraised for, like, super big corporations and super big, like, foundations and would be asking people all the time for their money. But, like, she even talks about sitting down to lunch with an old lady, trying to get her to, like, write the foundation she was working for in a will and, and how she did it. 
and how she got that old lady to do it who wasn't going to at first. And, and, that it f and she used some of the things that Mitchell taught her. And so she does carry that into her life. But then, and so Hector's a little, like, worried at first. Like, so you were a con artist. She's like, no, but I'm also very good at my job. I did that before I met Hector. Like, all the things, before I met Mitchell, all the things Mitchell taught me were things I was kind of already doing. I just didn't have a name for. And so, and as they get to talking, like, Hector's like, well, come on. I thought you were going to, like you know, like, uh, Huckleberry Finn me. Like, when am I going to be whitewashing your fence, girl? <laughs> and she laughs, but eventually she does get him to jump up and go buy paint. Like, literally, buy paint. Mm -hmm. Run to the ho run to the hardware store and buy it. And and so when he's, he's painting the house, he's like, see, I told you, yellow is perfect. Yellow is a good color. And she's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thanks, Huck Finn. Thanks. And so, like, he's... And then he gets angry. Like, inside, even though, like, this was sexy and this was fun and they're having a good time, afterwards when they go to get ice cream and he starts probing her about the cons again, she can tell this isn't the same kind of questioning. And when they get back... And she's angry and they kind of push back and forth a little bit. When they get back to the house, he admits to her, he's like... I just don't know if I did that because I wanted to or if you wanted me to. I And he's like, and he says, honestly, I'm confused around you. And she's like, <laughs> and then the she throws back the words in his face that he had said in the flea market, which was like, um, if I enjoy, you know, sex is fun. Sex is great. If I enjoy having sex with somebody, I take their number down and maybe next time I'm in town, we'll have sex again. She turns around, looks at him, and she's like, great, we'll put, take down my number, and maybe when you're back in town, we'll do that again. And she goes into her room and she slams the door. Hmm. So, like, um, but it also sets up this idea where she herself is not sure anymore. Like, am I a con artist? And all these nice things that people have been doing for me since I got into town, have I actually been conning them into doing it? And how much control did Mitchell have? And, like, did he really love me and all of that? And Hector, because he's a private investigator, he's also actually literally confused. Like, he wasn't going to have sex with her. <laughs> like, that wasn't his plan. Like, he wasn't going to get too close to her. He just wanted to use her as bait for this other guy. And, like, now he's like, maybe she is a con artist. Maybe he's, like, and he's trying to suss this out and failing and feeling like a failure. Um, but we don't know any of that yet. Oh, okay. I'll pretend I'll, I'll forget everything you just said, <laughs> so that I'm surprised later. Surprised? Twist! Twist! A twist? What a twist! <laughs> Good. That was fun. Thank you for sharing. Well, thank you for listening. The the image of them like sitting in the grass with the music coming from the house. It's just like to me. It's so like late spring early summer suburbia mm -hmm. and like in like such a really nice way that like you know i wish i had a back lawn and a house that i could like play music out of the house while i'm out on my back lawn you know oh, yes uh, um great great so thank you for sharing well thank you i really enjoyed it um hey christine Christine. Do you have any Hello. Do you have any questions for us? <laughs> I do. Great. I do have questions. So What is a novel? <laughs> yes. 
What is this reading thing that you all keep talking about? What is November? (laughs) (laughs) Why are you talking about November? It's still March. (laughs) I don't understand. It's so far away. Mm. (laughs) Uh, um, So, uh, I, it's funny because my question at, sort of at the outset of this is a little bit different now. So both of you read passages today. So <laughs> it's it's kind of a funny thing that I was like, okay, they're like, both of you are very good at writing dialogue. But I was also like, your delivery of it too, like your reading of it is very clear that you've both done acting. Like, <laughs> it's, it's so good. Like, and part of me is almost just like, I wish that you you would also do like um, an audible version of this <laughs> so that I can listen to it. <laughs> because again, this whole reading thing. Um, there were, there were a couple times in writing where, like I, I borrow obviously some of my own mannerisms for Patrick and him being like, bitch, please. And like <laughs> a professional audiobook reader would probably not read it that way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All the different takes of bitch, please. Bitch, a please. Bitch, please. Bitch, please. Bitch, please. Bitch, please. Bitch, please. Conveying all the nuances of the phrase, bitch, please. Can we have a sad version of bitch, please? Oh, bitch, bitch, please. please. No. <laughs> bitch, please. Surprised. Now do surprised. <gasps> bitch, please. <laughs> Horrified. Bitch, please. Scared. <laughs> bitch, please. Um... <laughs> You're just been proposed to. The answer is yes, and you're gonna say it saying bitch please. <gasps> bitch please. <laughs> I think there's a lot of facial stuff happening too that might not yes. translate. I feel like it's coming through. Medium. I feel like it's coming through. Okay. <laughs> Could I also have one that's like a blinding anger? Bitch please. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna make that my my um, wake up alarm. <laughs> bitch, please. <laughs> Get out of bed. Bitch, now. <laughs> anyway, I, so... I feel like you had questions or something, or we were talking about bitch, please. Uh, bitch, it's please. Bitch, please. <laughs> But, like, so do you think that, like, you might have an easier time than other writers who are not playwrights that with the dialogue part in particular? Because it is really quite natural to both of you. And I I feel like that's not necessarily something that comes with, like, novel writing. Like, it's just the form is so different. Like, or do you think that, like... I don't know. Do you think that other writers maybe don't struggle with that? Like, I guess what's your general take on that? Like, do you think that the playwriting helps with the dialogue writing that's like embedded in this? Do you think that it's, do you think you maybe have more dialogue than other non playwrights who just work in like a long form novel writing? Like, like, what's your just take on that? Because, like, it's just funny, even just listening, like, for this last hour, my 
my perceptions of it have kind of bounced around a little bit. And part of it is just your delivery is so great. And then, but then the writing of it is like so great too. It's like, because it, it, when both of you were reading your passages with the, with the dialogue in particular, there were like a couple seconds where I was like, Oh, Claire wants to stop or Neil is going to like break care. Like we're, we're not actually in the passage anymore because it sounded so natural <laughs> and i was like oh i was like what an advantage like i was like <laughs> it's like you both have such a leg up in this but i don't know if that's just like my own personal perceptions of it or not i kind of um i don't know for neil but like for myself i worry about leaning on dialogue too much because um i think neil and i as playwrights are both trained to tr to try to give as much information uh, in dialogue as possible, and also use that in a way that's active. So it's it's like um, one of the earliest things you learn, or you should learn, as a playwright, <laughs> is that characters don't talk unless they have to. Like like every every piece of dialogue needs to be motivated. There needs to be a reason behind it. There needs there needs to have stakes behind it. Like it like you cannot just say things into the world the way we do as humans. Like you really like you need to have a reason to talk and it needs to to try to get you something. It needs to have tactics behind it. It needs to have like but then at the same time you need to think like Shakespeare and also be able to talk about how dark the moon is so that in case you don't have lights <laughs> like the audience knows it's dark like you need to be able to talk about like that the wind is cold so that they know it's winter without saying the weather report you know like mm -hmm. all those are like you need but it also still needs to be motivated like a character comes into a room and they can't go gee mabel the school year has just started and by golly i enjoy it when the kids go off and the leaves fall also Eric died. You know, like, <laughs> like you can't, like, you need to, like, figure out a way to say all those things and not just fucking say it. And so, like, playwright dialogue is very, like, how do you do show don't tell in a form that is all tell? Like, <laughs> like, and so, like, it can be difficult, but then it can be really fun. Um, and so I, f I worry that I lean too much into dialogue and that I'm not giving enough time to the narrative to, to show that and not tell. And like, when am I actually using it appropriately? And I feel like some not people who've been trained in writing novels have a leg up in that because they may actually be much better at figuring out exactly when to use dialogue because their characters for sure are not going to fucking talk unless they have to. <laughs> and, like, and like they have, they have to use economy of language and they have to save it for these like expansive narrative scenes. And so I feel like um, I'm not always using dialogue appropriately. Yeah. I found as I'm sure you heard from the passage that I read, I have a lot of, like, two people are talking and it's just, like, them saying short sentences to each other back and forth without indicating who's talking or how they're saying it. And as a playwright, it's just like, yeah, that's how you write. And then the actors, like, make it happen for you. Um, so I'm like, oh, I need to remind myself, oh, yeah. And then I need to tell, tell the readers, like, how they're saying it. Like, I'm allowed to say... 
angrily or, you know. Um, and then, yeah, I've also found, like, t again, looking at my passage as an example of the part where we find out very clearly that Carrie is against the idea of open relationships. And, like, were I writing a play that would, like, be an actor decision as to how to foreshadow that? But it's like, oh, oh, I, I, do, I do that now by actually telling us what's in his head. Because the, I think another thing about playwriting is that, like, saying exactly what's in the character's head only works some of the time. Whereas with a novel, like, that's the point of a novel. <laughs> and um, I read, I think it was an article that I read, or maybe it was a YouTube video that I saw that's basically, like, the reason why so many adaptations of novels to movies are so bad or not nearly as enjoyable is because the experience of the novel is being inside the characters' heads. And you can't do that in a visual medium. Um, so then they'll be like, okay, he, he was upset. Okay, right. Neil, say why. Or like, um, or even just like, oh, you can allude to it more. Like, you can give even more information that's inside Carrie's head that, like, will e even better entice, hopefully, entice the readers to, to like, unravel actually what he's feeling. But, like, we can drop names, we can drop examples, we can drop little kernels of information that the character knows and the reader knows, but the other character doesn't have to know. So I have to, like, remind myself, like, this is another, like, tool at my disposal that I'm not necessarily used to using, and I have to remind myself to use it. That is fascinating. And it's also kind of, like, for me, like, putting into context, I guess I want to say, like, some of my pet peeves with watching, like, I would say watching more dramatic TV shows which I don't watch a lot of, but there will be a lot of like that exposition stuff where you're like, I know that you have to say that out loud, but it, like who is going to walk into a room like, hello, my 17 year old son who just got home from college. How was your day? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, oh, that's, well, yeah. You have to let me know this in 30 seconds, but okay. That's, that's <laughs> a great thing about prose is that it's like setting up little bits of exposition like that are so much more like, graceful right like, oh and then her son walked in it was nice to see him he'd changed since since going off to college and like this is what she noticed about him blah blah blah, blah. Mm -hmm. and then it's like you're conveying the the information but it's also interesting and then when they get to the dialogue it's how people talk like right. i always find it insane when i'm watching a show or something and siblings refer to each other as like oh well you know what big brother and it's like does anybody yeah. ever say that i don't think anyone ever says that <laughs> i do occasionally call my brother big brother but it's almost like a, a joke like but it's like a 1984 reference <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um last night i just watched uh the netflix movie uh devil all the devil all the time 
Um, oh, I haven't seen that. It, yet. It's awful. You do not have to watch it. Oh, um, oh. is it really? Oh, uh, okay. nobody has to watch it. It's fine. Okay. Um, congratulations. Oh, <laughs> you know when you know. I know that we've now transitioned into a uh, movie reviewing podcast just now, but I will have to yeah. say, yeah, oh, yeah, it yeah. was terrible. <laughs> But no, it's um, it does the thing. It's it 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 wants to. I think it it might have been adapted from a book. I don't know, but I feel like it wants you to feel like you're in the middle of a book, like a very good book. So it leans hard on a fucking narrator, <laughs> and this mm. narrator is awful. And it's like Lake Wobegon, but with murder, <laughs> and not funny. <laughs> it's just like mm. oh. And, and like, they need, and, and, like, they didn't give time for things to happen, so they always happen, like, really fast. Like, oh, he gets home from the war and meets his wife. <laughs> like, I mean, we could have, like, given time to that. And it's, like, and like it's, like, oh, and now we're going to flashback to what it was like for him in the war. And that one time he saw this thing. And I'm, like, why? Why didn't we just show that first? We didn't have to tell the story non-linearly. You're choosing to. But I don't know why. <laughs> you could have. We could have just opened up. He was at the Korean War, and it sucked bad. <laughs> Here he is, and like, oh yeah, true. Okay, good to know. Yes. And like, here's this horrific thing he saw. Yep. And when he came back, he was like not on board with God anymore. Got it. Okay. Totes make sense. I didn't even need a narrator for any of that shit because it was all very visual. Then when his wife was dying, he decided maybe back to God times, and he went too far in. Great. All good. Didn't need a goddamn narrator. (laughs) (laughs) And then, because they were telling it non-linearly, they would go back and, like, show a scene again. Like, oh, remember when this happened? And I'm like, yeah, I do. It was only ten minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) Why do I have to see this whole goddamn scene? Oh no, it was awful. Anyway, Ooh. anyway, it like Thanks. it did a lot of things that like it broke it like as far as like if you're thinking about it as like a book, it does a lot of the things that I'm worried about doing in my own book, which is like bouncing back and forth in the narrative in a way that doesn't actually feel good. Um, having this like strange other narrator who like telling us things in the middle of something that we could have just seen. And so that's one of the things I'm super, I'm getting really worried about in this book and that I'm going to need to go through and look at specifically in the next draft. Yeah. That like the, um, intrusive narrator is always so funny to me because it's like somebody leaning over like in a movie theater or when you're watching a movie going, that's Stan Lee. Like, I know. Like, <laughs> like you don't like I, I didn't need you to say that to me. Like, like I got it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyway, other questions. Other questions. So I, my only other question now is like, um, so Neil is back to being a pantser. So um <laughs> do you have your end in sight are you still like working towards the same end now that it's i mean i know your outline's not out the window but is it like you know the same yeah like i have the epilogue in my head um 
and I know where I need to get. And I had steps to get there, but I might not want them anymore. So, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Um, and then Claire, yeah. you always... Well, I, I guess I shouldn't say this, so or shouldn't assume this. I know you read the last page of every book first. So, have you written the last page of this already? Ah, And are you working um, towards that? Is that where you are right now? I did think about that, but I didn't actually do that. Oh. And I can literally say at this point, I do not know where this story is going anymore. <laughs> um, oh, that's so exciting. Like, um, it's like, I, I still think I want like Hector and Margaret to get together. Like, that's still something I want. Like, at least... And I have, like, the bones of how it happens so that it's not irrecoverable and their relationship starts to, like, make sense again and there's, like, a growth to it. And so I still have a sort of sense of what it is and a moment where it happens. And, um, but, like, um, I'm not, like, I worry, like, just like those pages that I've put five pages down between it just seems further and further away <laughs> uh -oh. it's like and it's like Claire, oh, how do we get to Claire, there are you gonna end are you gonna end on a cliffy is um, this gonna be the first of a series <gasps> no I know no I don't think there's no. more of this story to tell I think it's just <laughs> I think maybe not them, but maybe you write a series about that goddamn house that they're trying to fix. Yes, fact. maybe it's just a series of people in and out of the house. A series of people in and out of that house. I have trying to fix it. I have and then it burns down. <laughs> I've definitely thought of the absolute barest of bones. If I were to write a second book to take place in this small town, well, we got to get that bookstore guy somebody. Yeah, oh that's, the next, that's the next Yay! book. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Okay. Okay. Oh, may I request somewhere headed. in this book series that you're writing, Neil, mm -hmm. an actual poly romance? Yeah, sure. Great. Yes. Excellent. Good, good, Great. good, good, good. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was like the beginnings of Inklings of book three. Yay! Very excited. Book Very three? Excited. Yeah. Book three. See, let me get through. You book guys one are holding first. out. <laughs> well, I said now it's out there when I haven't even finished the first book, and I hate doing that because I always feel like an idiot when it doesn't work out. I mean, I'll also say um, uh, some of the lore behind Harry Potter is that she wrote that epilogue very early on in the writing process, and that she changed very little of it. Um, so at like, and I don't know when she wrote it or like how far along she really was, but she wrote that early on in the writing process. And um, when I read that part, I could tell because her writing had improved between the time she wrote the first and second book and the last book. And it had become more engaging, the characters more in depth, like the narrative was, was, was better to read. And I really did enjoy reading the first book. Um, it's just that the style had changed and like her sense of her sensibilities had changed. The characters had grown up and it felt like she had written that as the person who had written that first, the first and second book. And it was a shame. <laughs> it was like, Oh, 
Oh. <laughs> like, all the, the writer who had learned so many lessons didn't do that last part, and I think... I think she, one, should have thrown it out and not tried to write to that ending. And two, if she did decide that that was the ending she was always writing towards, she should have rewritten it um, because it was not as good. And it felt like a letdown reading it. And well, I mean, three. there's something also very telling about that, too, where she's like, this is the fixed point that can never change, even mm-hmm. when it doesn't feel right in her certain her views on certain certain things, ways of being in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is another reason why I had thought about writing the end and decided to not do that, even knowing myself mm-hmm. who would like read it and go, fuck that shit and just like wipe it aside. But knowing that I didn't want to write to an ending specific to a specific ending necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's all I have. Great. Thank you as always, Christine. Thank you so much, Christine. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Claire. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, listeners. Thank you so much, listeners. Thank you, writers. Yay. Oh, you know, you know, you know. But thank you to um, all the other writers on NaNoWriMo, some of you who I have been secretly racing and some of you who have won. <laughs> that race (laughs) (laughs) uh thank you nanowrimo thank you very much nanowrimo listeners if you haven't done so go to nanowrimo.org to support the organization or even hey even if you just want to like use this as an excuse to start your novel that you'll work on in earnest next year it's not too late just do it also just so you know the NaNoWriMo website supports writers year-round so if you feel like you want to start a novel and you don't want to do it within the November month they can it can still help you set up goals and guidelines for yourself give yourself a little like gamify your writing a little bit as you're first starting so that you can track your writing process it can also give you discounts on others on like writing software it can give you like connections to other writers in your area so honestly like yes give them money they're doing so many great things just do it just, just do, do it. it just do it do it <laughs> <laughs> Why won't you listen to us? Just do it. Uh, So I think all that's left for us to say is if you can continue to do so safely and consensually, keep keep 